You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about news and information, but first let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what has been happening with you? Since we last recorded, I took a trip to St. Louis with my parents and my kids for spring break, and it was really fun. Yay! It was very cold, but it was also very cold in Indiana, so it was nice to be in a new place doing new indoor things with the kids instead of just feeling trapped in the house or doing the same things we always do. So growing up in Missouri, I had done a lot of these things as a kid, but hadn't Mm -hmm. gone back to do them with my own children. Part of that was wanting to wait until they were a little older and we didn't have naps and they could really hang all day doing these museums and activities. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm really glad we did it, and I had a great time experiencing those new things, but it's also just a reminder of how little it takes to entertain and please children at Mm. this age. Because when I asked them what their favorite thing was that we did, E's favorite thing was a mailbox at the Magic House, which is the children's museum there, that she could put a ticket in. It's just a box with a slot on it. And that was her favorite thing of everything at the City Museum, at the Magic House, at the zoo. It's this box. And at the zoo, it was a similar story. They were enjoying it. But the thing they most wanted to do was play on this grassy hill and pretend to be monkeys. They didn't actually want to go into the monkey house and see the monkeys or see the exhibits. They just wanted to be playing in a field. And that made me realize how not interactive the zoo is, Right, that it is just go look at these things and then walk someplace else and look at something. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, but I think they don't quite grasp the novelty of it. Yeah, It's like, oh, yeah, there's a polar bear. And it's fun, but HP wanted to be climbing up a rock that's covering like a utility situation and using that as a slide and wasn't <laughs> wanting to move on to anything else or see the animals. So... <laughs> I'd love to go back again when they're a little bit older and can experience it at new ages. Fair enough. What has been happening with you? I'm very excited because I just started teaching childbirth education at the yoga studio where I also teach prenatal yoga. And it's awesome because I'm team teaching it. So we're all sort of bringing these perspectives of, you know, what does the science say about pregnancy and childbirth and early parenting? And what were our own experiences of pregnancy and childbirth and early parenting? And how have things like yoga and mindfulness influenced our experiences? And how can we share those with people to help make, you know, their time of becoming parents smoother and non-judgmental and just really supportive? Mm-hmm. It's the first class. We're planning more, and it's a small class this time, but it's just really fun. I mean, I've loved talking about pregnancy and birth and parenting for a long time, (laughs) and I also just really believe in what we're offering. It sounds like a course that I would have really loved to have while I was pregnant. I really like that combination of science and mindfulness and how valuable that perspective is going into this big life change. And also, I think preparing to teach it has made me more reflective on Mm. the tools that I actually do have as I have been coping with stress and parenting challenges and things. And so that part is really nice, too. It's a benefit for me, not just for the people that we're teaching. A win all around. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what's your latest read? I just finished The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. 
It is a novel that follows four siblings from New York, and we meet them in the late 1960s. They go to visit this woman who is said to be able to predict the date of death of anyone who comes to her for that information. Whoa. So these four kids go and they're age 7 to 13. That sounds really intense. Yes. And they all receive their prediction. And that's the prologue. And then there's four sections of the book, one for each sibling Mm. that follows their life. And it's also chronological. So the first story starts in the late 1970s, and then the last story ends in 2010. Hmm. So as we're going through, you're also getting this really interesting look at American history and these specific points in history, as well as getting their personal story. The concept itself was just so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And would you want to know the date of death? And what would you do with that information? And would having that information be a self-fulfilling prophecy that would lead you to make different choices that made it come true versus if you didn't have that? And how much control do we have over our lives? And what is destiny? All of those themes were really thought-provoking and made me wish that I was reading this in a book club because I think it would make for such great discussion. Sounds like an awesome book club book. The things I didn't like were the fact that I didn't really love or connect with any one of the characters. Hmm. In some ways, I like that because I think it pushes me out of my comfort zone because they're making choices that are very different from the choices I would make given the same set of circumstances. Yeah. But I also don't read to read about people living life the exact same way that I live life. (laughs) So I appreciate that. But there's a balance where you need to care about the characters. You need to like them enough that you're invested. Yeah. And I do think I liked them enough for that. But there still was that pushback of, ooh, what kind of choices are they making here? What are they doing? (laughs) So I would recommend the book, especially for book clubs. The writing was great. I am amazed that she's only 29 when she wrote this. Make us feel unaccomplished about our early 30s. Yes. (laughs) And as I said before, the premise was so fascinating. What have you been reading, Abby? I just finished listening to Still Me by Jojo Moyes. And this is the third in the series that includes Me Before You, which people have probably heard of, I think, because they just made a film about it, Mm. and After You. And this was my favorite book of those three so far. So the series follows Louisa, and it sort of starts in Me Before You with her taking a job where she's a companion for a young man who has been paralyzed in a motorcycle accident. And her family stuff comes in and his family stuff. And I'm not going to give away the end. But then in After You, it's sort of her dealing with the aftermath of that life experience. And this book is still her dealing with that, but kind of striking out in a lot of ways and coming into her own. And these books are really readable, you know, popular type fiction. Mm -hmm. But I read a review that said that they have emotional weight And I think that's exactly right, that they are not necessarily light subject matter, but light in that they're easy to read. You want to keep going. It's not super dense literary fiction, but the characters are just so good. I really love Louisa. She seems very honest. She's not perfect. And then the cast of characters around her, like the families, as I mentioned, but then also the people that she meets in the course of her work, feels like the whole package in a story. 
I flew through the book listening to it because it was a great audiobook, number one, because I wanted to know what happened. But I just really enjoyed the ride. I would definitely recommend these books. Like I said, there's heavy emotional stuff, but they are really great if you want something that is enjoyable and not completely fluffy. So I haven't read any of these books, but I've heard a lot about them. And hearing you talk about them makes me want to save them for when I'm on vacation as something fun and easy to read. These would be perfect trip books. So today's topic is a listener suggestion that was made on our anniversary giveaway back in November. Thank you, Nicole. And we're going to discuss how we each consume news and information. So let's start out with the basics. Sarah, how closely do you follow news? I would say I follow it relatively closely. And that's not something I've done my whole adult life. Hmm. I would say there was a shift in 2011 when I moved to Austin And that is when I started listening to NPR and got hooked on keeping up on a more daily basis with what was happening in the world. Before that point, I would say I knew broad strokes, but there was a lot of things that passed me by Mm -hmm. through most of my 20s. And while I follow it closely, I really feel like the sources that I choose allow me to opt in to what I want to get, that I don't feel like I'm being bombarded by it but that I'm choosing when I want to engage with it so it doesn't feel overwhelming to me. How closely do you follow the news? I follow it semi-closely, but I'm really judicious about my intake of information. I really tend to focus more on stories about people than things like politics and markets. I also prefer long-form narrative pieces to super quick sort of daily news. Mm -hmm. So I'll occasionally do a deep dive into something in New York Magazine or, you know, a big reported feature that NPR has collaborated with ProPublica on, for instance. And so I'm getting news that way, but maybe not quite to the current daily level that it sounds like you are. Mm -hmm. How did your family consume news growing up? Do you think that that has influenced how you are now? I think so. So in my family, it was almost all print-based. My parents read the paper. Mm -hmm. I have more memories of my mom reading it because that was what she would do in the morning when I would come out, that she'd be on the couch reading it. Mm. But I believe my dad kept up as well. They also subscribed to Newsweek magazine. And that wasn't something I read growing up, but was something that was around the house. Mm -hmm. One thing they did not do was ever watch TV news. There was no sitting down to watch the five o'clock news. There was no cable news on in our house. Yeah. And as we'll talk about in a minute, that is something I have continued. And I still have that same leaning to print over TV format. Yeah. So we got the paper growing up. And I remember reading the sections that weren't really newsy, like the Dear Abby (laughs) column and stuff like that. Uh huh. And I don't really have a memory of my parents reading the actual paper, Mm. though they must have if they got it. Someone must have been reading it. All those years. (laughs) Yeah. My parents definitely listened to NPR in the car and on the radio at home. So Mm. NPR is sort of constantly in the background of my childhood, if I think about my childhood in terms of sound. Mm. My parents also rarely watch TV news. The one exception to that is that my dad regularly tuned in to 60 Minutes, which is news, clearly, but also I think has that longer form, Mm -hmm. deeper reported sense. And so I'm wondering if 
my inclination for that is a little bit from there. The other kind of embarrassing news thing from my childhood is that for a long time, like late middle school through most of high school, I subscribed to Us Weekly because celebrity news was really important to me. (laughs) And there is celebrity news that I still like now. So if I'm being honest, that has an influence as well. (laughs) Some things change, some things stay the same. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk now about our favorite news sources. So I would say that this changes for me on a quarterly to yearly basis Mm, mm -hmm. that I find that shifts have happened over the years that I've been paying attention to news. But right now, I daily check in with the New York Times app. And I also follow the NPR Politics podcast. Mm -hmm. And they have shows that come out at least twice a week, sometimes more, depending on the news. And we also subscribe to our local paper and Time magazine. Neil is much better about keeping up with the local news and the long-form articles in time, Mm -hmm. where I think I am much more aware of what's happening on the national level in more detail. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's a good balance because when we discuss the news, we each bring different information to the table. Yeah. I would love to keep up more with Time Magazine and the local paper. But at the end of the day, when I would be reading that, Mm -hmm. I feel much more inclined to pick up my book and read that than I do to read news. So I have a hard time prioritizing it and find it much easier to keep up with New York Times and a podcast. The other source I would recommend that I relied more heavily on a few years ago is The Skim which is a newsletter that comes to your email. Mm-hmm. I heard about this from Kelsey of the Girl Next Door podcast. And it's just a digest every weekday that comes. And one thing I appreciated about it is that it had news of the world and the nation, but also pop culture news, mm. which I am woefully uninformed about. <laughs> and there are many times that I read that app and I was like, oh, the Oscars, that's a thing. That just happened. Or the Super Bowl. So it has made me feel a little more in the loop on these things that I just don't know about. Love it. So most of my news comes from social media, Facebook and Twitter. And rather than following content sites or news organizations, I try to follow people that I know in real life or maybe more public figures that are going to share sources that I know are quality journalism, so that are well-reported and researched with fact-checkers. I like it when people share the longer-form stuff and point to it and say, I've read this and it's awesome. You know, it's a long read, but you should definitely do it. So it's nice to have a recommendation going into something that's going to be a time commitment like that. (laughs) Andrew, I would say, is much more plugged into daily-level news than I am. So in that way, He and I have a different perspective on things, too. He'll often play NPRs up first in the mornings on his phone, sort of as he's cooking breakfast. And so I get a little bit of that. And I like that. Seems like a good amount of daily news. Mm -hmm. And then I also have a newsletter to recommend. It's called 1440. And it was created by a friend of ours from grad school. And it's another one that you can subscribe to, but you can also just go to their website and read. So the flip side of that is what are your least favorite news sources? So as I mentioned before, I really do not like getting any news from the television. Mm -hmm. I find it really irritating and honestly enraging. I think 
Part of it is all the opinions and very little facts Mm. and that it takes so long to get the information. Yeah. I love with print, I can just see it, skim it, do it in my own time as opposed to having to wait for it to actually come to me. Feels really time consuming to get news from the television. Totally. I really do not like getting my news from social media, Hmm. which since I'm not on Facebook or Twitter, is fairly easy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of eliminates that since those are the most newsy of the social medias. Yes, they are. And I think the reason I really hate it is because it usually comes with people's opinions. And I would rather read the original source myself and come to my own opinions. Mm. And I feel like I'm getting their righteous indignation. And I have plenty of my own. Mm -hmm. So I would rather just manufacture that when I get the news source (laughs) as opposed to having to absorb all of their rage in addition to my own. Somehow that feels healthier to me. (laughs) I think it makes me feel more in control of what I'm consuming and the processing of it as opposed to having to filter that through everyone else's feelings. I also really do not love TV news, either in local five o'clock news format or in cable news channel format. It's the worst. For one thing, it just feels really overstimulating in terms of like colors and images and loud and sounds and, you know, eliminating the visual if you're listening to audio news Mm -hmm. or eliminating the audio if you're reading something to yourself feels much less overwhelming to me, Mm -hmm. especially since I often find news challenging anyway. I think I do better with just slightly less input. And I also really struggle with the sort of unrelentingness of the news cycle both local news and cable news, because it feels a lot of times like it's manufactured or hyped. Mm -hmm. Like we're creating this into news because we have to fill this airtime rather than this is something relevant and of value and something that you need to know to be a good citizen of the world. Yes. And I think it feels different with NPR too, because they have so many stories that aren't just about the news of the moment, right. things about science and about culture and about art. Mm-hmm. So it does get really repetitive in terms of the top of the hour and bottom of the hour news recap, because the news has not changed that much in half an hour or an hour. Right. But the content in between those news stories feels more thoughtful, mm-hmm. though To be fair, maybe cable news does that. I don't know because I don't watch it. So (laughs) they may also have thought pieces to fill their time. But it feels more like they just talk about the news in between the updates. Yeah. To me, that feels like the things that you said you didn't love about social media, sort of the talking head and Mm. rage Mm -hmm. and other people's opinions and putting their own spin on it. Yes. At a really loud volume all the time on TV. Yes. I hate it. (laughs) And I will say something about getting news from people who are sharing it with their own perspective. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've tried to do in getting social media news is follow people that aren't like me. So follow people that are people of color, for instance, and really pay attention to the news that they're sharing. Mm -hmm. Because I think one thing it's hard to get, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, is stuff that's not shared by people just like us. Yes. And so that's one thing that I have found social media really helpful for. 
And Twitter seems like a better platform for that. And I've just never really done Twitter. So for me, I feel like my experience with social media was more about Facebook, which was just people I know, most of whom are like me. So that that was the kind of news that was being shared, as opposed to on Twitter, it seems like you can be so much more thoughtful about curating what you see and having that diversity of thought and viewpoints. I think that it's possible in both places, but it's definitely something that you have to be really conscious of. Mm -hmm. So do you think that we have a responsibility to be informed about the news? I do think so. I don't think people need to know on a minute-to-minute or day-to-day basis what's happening Mm -hmm. because, to be honest, it's not hard to catch up. When I was on spring break, I wasn't checking in on any news. Mm -hmm. And I came back and it's like, oh, a lot happened. And it took me 10 minutes to get caught up on what that was, (laughs) that (laughs) I don't actually need to be checking in so regularly to be informed. And I think that can be hard at different phases of our lives. Mm. And at this time with having young kids, I feel like it's really easy to just narrow your world and only focus on your family and Mm -hmm. not know about anything that's happening out and not think about it because the day-to-day of your life already feels very full. Right. I have also found that I feel like I have less bandwidth Mm. to actually do something about the news that I'm consuming. Yes. Because especially in those early years when I wasn't sleeping, it's like really all I feel like I can do is get through the day. But it's also such a privilege to be able to say that, to say I'm taking these years and just thinking about me and my family and not opening up to what's bigger in the world. And I think there's a real balance to be had there. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So I don't know if I have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I am a highly sensitive person. So I really carefully curate my intake And like you said, it's a tough balance because this is one of the places where privilege is so obvious. Yes. I have the ability to not pay attention to things that are tough or scary in the news and in the world because most of them are unlikely to touch my life, Mm -hmm. my safe, cushy, upper middle class life. And at the same time, like you're saying, I don't want to be unaware or uninvested in things happening to my fellow humans. And I haven't quite figured this out yet. I do have a tendency toward what a former therapist of mine called emotional cutting. So because I like long form things, if something bad happens, I can go really deep into the depressing news and find out more than is even helpful or productive. And it can start to feel consuming. So I really try and if I'm going to take action around news, whether that's to gain more or learn more about it or to try and contact a politician or change charitable giving or something, I try and make it a productive and positive action Mm -hmm. and not something that's just going to send me into a destructive emotional cycle. Right. I think that's also a privilege, though, Mm -hmm. to be able to even step back from a situation enough that I can see what's going to help me feel as though I'm helping this and not as though the world is a horrible place. Right. I mean, isn't that what so much of privilege is, is that we have choices that other people don't? Yep. So this is a somewhat related question. How is or is how you get your news affected by the echo chambers that you live in? I think many of the sources I consume, like the New York Times and NPR, are widely known to have a liberal slant. Mm -hmm. 
And I see that much more in the New York Times than NPR. Yes, I agree. That said, I think both of them work really hard to present the facts, which I appreciate. And something I am really thankful for is that in my high school education, there were a few teachers who really emphasized bias, Mm. where anything we read, they would ask, who wrote this? What perspective are they coming from? What Mm. is their bias? What are they trying to accomplish by writing? You know, how can you see their bias in how they're presenting the facts? That was in both language arts classes and history classes. Nice. And it's really one of the big things I feel like I've taken from my high school education into my adult life is anything I consume questioning who wrote it and why. Hmm. And that's not to say that I don't live in an echo chamber because I absolutely do. (laughs) I think not being on Facebook and Twitter helps Mm -hmm. because I do try and avoid just hearing other people's opinions that are like mine for the sake of having people agree with me. Mm -hmm. But I do really experience this just in my everyday life and the people I interact with that we all think fairly similarly. I live in a liberal town. I go to a liberal church. I have liberal friends. And I may consume news differently than those people, but we're often coming to very similar conclusions. I will say that I try and avoid sources that I find to be too far to the left. Mm. For example, many people recommended Pod Save America to me, Mm -hmm. and I tried listening to a few episodes, but it is so liberal it's not helpful Mm. that it feels like talk radio only from the left. Yes. And I never feel like I learned anything from it. I just feel like it's this way to have your thoughts confirmed Mm. and to feel good about your conclusions in a way that doesn't make me feel good at the end of it. Yeah. I'm also very aware it's three white dudes talking about things the whole time. Yeah. They really don't have a variety of perspectives. They try and bring on guests, but it just doesn't do it for me. And I know lots of people love it, Hmm. but I don't think it's a healthy or productive addition to my own news consumption. The echo chambers that I've created in my information world are very deliberate and necessary to my sanity. You know, it makes me wonder, is it positive for my wider worldview to get news from sources that are generally viewed as liberal? Mm -hmm. When I'm thinking about that, I do think that it is positive because for the most part, these are the ones doing the best job doing real reporting and fact checking. Maybe at a different time in my life, I might benefit from reading a little bit more conservative news or listening to a little bit more conservative news if I felt like I could trust the integrity of the journalism behind it. Mm -hmm. And right now, I think because of the stuff you alluded to about this very intense time of having a young kid, I'm not quite ready to push myself in that way. But I could see that being something that would be a growth place for me in future. I also think that one way I try and do that is through the books that I'm reading. Mm. Not saying I read a ton of books from a conservative viewpoint, but I think reading is a way in which I do push myself to consider things outside of my norm and to step into somebody else's shoes and to think about somebody's life who's different than mine. And both through fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. I know that's really different than the news that we consume, but I do think that it offers the opportunity to stretch and to grow. Mm. Without that righteous indignation I feel around the news, Mm. it feels like I can come at it from a neutral and open perspective. Yeah, I think that's a great point that what we're reading fiction and nonfiction books wise 
are a huge part of our information landscape and how our worldview is shaped. Mm -hmm. So how do you plan to handle news and information with your kids? This is a really good question and one we are still working through to try and find what really feels best for our family. Mm -hmm. I would say in general, I'm really sheltering my kids and trying to keep the news away from them. That I try not to listen to news podcasts in front of them. Mm. We don't discuss news at the dinner table. And I just really don't think my three-year-old and five-year-old need to know the details of politics or be aware when there's a mass shooting. I think that would cause unnecessary anxiety for them. Mm -hmm. And that at this point, they don't have the perspective to be able to process that in a way that feels healthy to me. Mm. I want them to be kids and to be focused on that. And I know this will change. It's not that I don't want them to be aware, because of course I want my kids to be informed citizens in the world and engaged in what's happening outside of their own lives. They are just not at the ages yet where I feel like that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. I will say that HP has brought things to us Mm -hmm. that he has heard at school or just heard out in the broader world and that we don't try and shut that down. We try to talk about what he brings to us at an age-appropriate level. Mm -hmm. And often we do that by trying to find books on the topic that can help both of us process that in a way that was written for somebody his age. Yeah. So this is something that we're still working on with Plum and still thinking through how it's going to be. And like you've said, I think that it depends so much on the individual kid and how they react to things. And I think like you guys have done, there are other ways to do the kind of consciousness raising and world education than being exposed to news. Mm -hmm. That said, right now, we are listening to NPR around Plum. And I think we'll keep doing that on a limited basis until we kind of see how it is for her and what sort of conversations come out of that. Also want to point to a resource that I have talked about before, which is this site, Raising Race Conscious Children. And there are several essays there that talk about good ways to discuss the news, especially around things like police shootings of Black people with young kids in a way that's not scary, but that can sort of empower them to see how they might play a role in dismantling things like structural racism. So this is ongoing. And this is the end of our chat about news today. But listeners, we would love to hear from you about how you do this with the kids in your life and how your consumption of news and information looks, especially if you have resources that you'd recommend that we check out. Let's finish up by talking about what we've been eating. So this is a very simple dinner, but one that has been a huge hit around here lately. I have been just buying everything bagels, cream cheese, smoked salmon, and capers, and we've been layering it all up and eating it like we're in New York or something crazy like that. (laughs) And we've been getting all those things from Trader Joe's because they have a type of smoked salmon that is pastrami flavored. Mm. It has kind of the spices along the edge of it that they put on pastrami, which gives it a little something extra. I like salmon, but it can be a tad fishy for me, especially some of the smoked ones. And this one doesn't have that because it has some sort of extra flavors in there. So do you toast the bagels first before you do the layering? 
we do toast the bagels and then I use copious amounts of cream cheese. I like a one-to-one cream cheese to bagel half ratio. (laughs) I don't quite get there usually, especially if I need to share a block of cream cheese, but that's my preference. I hear ya. What have you been eating, Sarah? So in the past, I have tried a few different recipes for naan. Mm -hmm. Whenever we do a dal or some other curry, it feels like it takes the meal up a notch if we have naan. But when I've made them before, they feel too thick and bready. But this recipe more closely replicates the naan that I know and love Nice from a restaurant experience. And it's from the website Budget Bites. And we'll link to it. And I will say the only thing that I do differently is I think it says to divide it into eight pieces to roll out. And Mm -hmm. I do it into 16. Mm. And then when you roll it out, it's even thinner. And I Mm. feel like that gives it just the right texture. So if there are any other non-lovers out there, I highly recommend this recipe. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. You can connect with us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or by emailing us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, we would love it if you would do that. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Not great.